Rob, I visited the dentist recently. It's oh no, been a long time since I've seen one. How how many Fast and Furious movies would you say it's been since you uh, since you went? Last? Well, uh, chronologically, it would have to be <laughs> before Tokyo Drift. So Han is alive. <laughs> the last time you went to the dentist, it's kind of like confession at that point and 10 our fathers really don't do it but the last time i was there i had my wisdom teeth taken out and they had to put me under and at one point they woke me up and said do you know that you're screaming (laughs) and first of all no (laughs) i didn't know that Second of all, like, what did they think I was going to do about it? It's not like, you know, I'm asleep and snoring and, I, and they wake me up and I'll, oh, okay, I'll roll over. <laughs> it's like they, they woke you up and were like, excuse me, sir, do you realize you've been urinating this entire time? Uh, that's interesting. I'll take that under advisement. <laughs> it's time. Time for a thrilling story of romance. Adventure, mystery, anything with an expired copyright. It's time for another Interrupted Tale. Hello, and welcome to the show that usually ends. Another episode of Interrupted Tales, the podcast where my friend and I take turns reading stories to you, the listener while the other person constantly interrupts. As always, I am Rob, and I'm joined tonight by my cohort, Alan. Alan, what up? I'm back. I'm still back. I'm back in the saddle again. Fire! Um, Yes, we are back in the saddle again, and this week we have a chilling tale from the book Real Ghost Stories from 1921. Ooh, real ghost stories, the kind that only the real Ghostbusters can find and bust. Yes, none of those fake Ghostbusters that hang around with gorillas. Those were yeah. those were creepy. It was a terrible, terrible show. This is um this story from the book is called My Irish Friend, and this story in the whole book is by William T. Stead, or W. T. Stead as he was popularly known. And Alan, did you in in your uh in, in the time that you've spent uh you know learning about this tale, did you do any research on W. T. Stead? Uh let me riffle through my notes <laughs> here, Rob. Uh, no, I did not do any research on William T. Stead. Well, I take this podcast seriously. So I, I fell into a great big wiki hole about him. And he had a, a whole huge life. Like he is a figure in British journalism. He was a pioneer in investigative journalism and okay. became so renowned by a series of articles that it actually led to an act in Parliament called the Stead Act, which raised oh. the age of consent in England to uh, 16. Uh, well. <laughs> Keep in mind, it raised the age of consent. Okay, that's going in the right direction. You're right, right, right. And um, he's also, his version of what he called new journalism 
is also said to have ushered in the tabloid age. So now he's mm. considered to be a, a figure of controversy. But it goes even crazier. He was super into spiritualism and totally believed in ghosts and telepathy and the ability to talk to the dead. So these real ghost stories may actually have been real to him. Oh, mm-hmm. And uh, he, in 1912, was invited by President Taft to speak at a peace conference. And so he decided to book a cabin on the Titanic to make his way to the U.S. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So he totally died on the Titanic. Uh, oh, are all the people that died on the Titanic like ghost people then? <laughs> yes. The answer oh. is yes. Um, so let's get to it then. It's time to curl up in your favorite chair and grab a drink while we read you this week's tale. <laughs> My Irish Friend Many of the apparitions that are reported are of phantasms that appear in fulfillment of a promise made to survivors during life. Of this class I came, in the course of my census, upon a very remarkable case. Among my acquaintances is an Irish lady, the widow of an official who held a responsible position in the Dublin post office. Head Stamp Liquor (laughs) You you laugh. You joke now, Alan, but back then that was that was a high job. It was a very responsible position. His tongue was legendary. <laughs> she is Celt to her backbone with all the qualities of her race. <laughs> I have limited knowledge of the Celts, but I think that must mean she wears blue face paint and listens to T-Rex. <laughs> that That sounds about right, actually. After her husband's death, she contracted an unfortunate marriage. Oh, oh, she's contracted the marriage box. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Do you know, again, you laugh, but do you know how many millions of people died from that? It's it's quite sad. I know, those anti-vaxxers are really... (laughs) which really was no marriage legally, with an engineer of remarkable character and no small native talent. He, however, did not add to his other qualities the saving virtues of principle and honesty. Owing to these defects, my friend woke up one morning to find that her new husband had been married previously, and that his wife wife was still living. But on the plus side... Uh, the best part of a fake marriage is that you never have to say you've been divorced on your dating profile. <laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> on making this discovery, she left her partner and came to London, where I met her. She is a woman of very strong character, and of some considerable, although irregular, ability. <laughs> she could lift heavy objects with her mind, but only during eclipses. <laughs> I, I actually think this is a coded thing. She's got IBS. And uh, oh, yeah. Holy regular. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sad. She has many superstitions, and her dreams were something wonderful to hear. 
Oh, you you say you showed up for an exam fully clothed and well prepared? <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> they were desperate for entertainment back then. After she had been in London two years, her bigamist lover found out where she was, and leaving his home in Italy, followed her to London. There was no doubt as to the sincerity of his attachment to the woman whom he had betrayed, and the scenes which took place between them were painful. Oh, like in the Jumanji remake. <laughs> Kevin Hart and The Rock are a delight, Alan. Come on. It's the new Abbott and Costello. And at one time, threatened to have a very tragic ending. Like the writers of the Jumanji <laughs> remake. <laughs> Did you know, like, Colin Hank shows up at the end of that movie? Colin <laughs> Hank? like, here... Hey, 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 I'm here. I'm my character from Life in Pieces. <laughs> I, I got the same kids, the same wife. Hey, I'm in this movie too. <laughs> I think it, I knew a Jonas brother showed up, but I did not know Colin Hanks was like, hey. Don't reveal the secret ending to your friends. Oh, yeah, yes, yes. Don't spoil the big surprise. No one will be admitted once Jumanji, the whatever it is called, starts. What is it called? Jumanji the next something? Uh, Jumanji fully loaded. <laughs> I thought it was Juman no. Jumanji's house. <laughs> it's called Welcome to the Jungle. Got it. Got it. Jungle to Jungle. Okay. okay. Fortunately, although she never ceased to cherish a very passionate affection for her lover, she refused to resume her old relations with him. And after many stormy scenes, he departed for Italy, loading her with reproaches. Uh, you could have uh, had your groove back. You forgot what you do. That's all the Italian I got. <laughs> you could act like a man. That's not Italian, but uh, I enjoy The Godfather. Some months after his departure, she came to me and told me she was afraid something had happened to him. Oh, well, if the Italian police are involved, you can rest easy. They're going to find the American exchange student <laughs> sex cult that murdered him like that. They're on the case. It's going to be one quick trial and done. Right. It's going to be a trial about an exchange student who started a <laughs> sex cult, and it's going to make a lot of sense. <laughs> She had heard him calling her outside her window, and shortly afterwards saw him quite distinctly in her room. She was much upset about it. Uh, hey, we're exes now. You can't just teleport into my room and haunt me without my permission. We need boundaries. Well, maybe just one last breakup haunt, but no staying the night. <laughs> you up? You alive? Netflix and chill? <laughs> gothic novel and chill <laughs> I poo-pooed this story and put it down to a hallucination caused by the revival of the stormy and painful scenes of the parting and her special K habit that'll do it I mean it's not a reliable witness shortly afterwards she received news from Italy that her late husband, if we may so call him, 
had died about the same time she heard him calling her by her name under her window in East London. I only learnt when the above was passing through the press that the unfortunate man, whose phantasm appeared to my friend, died suddenly either by his own hand or by accident. Uh, yeah, one of those. <laughs> Italian police again. <laughs> hey, uh, what do you want to know? It's uh, one or the other. On leaving London, he drank on steadily, hardly being sober for a single day. After a prolonged period of intoxication, he went out of the house and was subsequently found dead, either having thrown himself or fallen over a considerable height, at the foot of which he was found dead. Yeah, you know, surprising note on that, his body had actually had two recent and presumably self-ink tattoos one of them with a devil skull that says ready to die. And the other was just the word oops. So it's really difficult to put it in one category or the other. <laughs> oops. <laughs> the handwriting got really shaky on that one. I asked Mrs. G.F., Gelda Fitzgerald? Gilda Fadner? Yeah. To write out for me, as carefully as she could remember it after the lapse of two years, exactly what she saw and heard. Here is her report. The Promise In the end of the summer of 1886, it happened one morning that Irwin and myself were awake at 5.30 a.m. You know, peak MASH reruns time. Watching Hogan's Heroes on the Cozy Network. <laughs> yeah, anything with a dot one or a dot two on the, the digital dial. And as we could not go to sleep again, we lay talking of our future possible happiness and present troubles. And thinking we really need to pee, but... Maybe we can scrunch up real tight so we don't have to get up right now. Scrunch. We were at the time sleeping in room number 16, Hotel Washington, overlooking the Bay of Naples. Convenient location, friendly staff, room service is atrocious. Check out my review on TripAdvisor. We agreed that nothing would force us to separate in this life, neither poverty nor persecution from his family nor any other thing on earth. Anything going, eh, okay. I'm gonna need you to write that down, okay? Specifically, you write, without respect to the laws of man and beast, okay? <laughs> Both a classy joke and a classy accent. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I believed myself his wife then. We each agreed that we would die together rather than separate. Well, you know, we also said we were going to open a cupcake shop and boycott Uber. We said a lot of things back then. <laughs> we spoke a great deal that morning about our views of what was or was not likely to be the condition of souls after death. Um, probably pretty gross and, like, in need of a shower. <laughs> And whether it was likely that spirits could communicate, by any transmitted feeling or apparition, the fact that they had died to their surviving friends. 
Alice, I've resisted the pull of eternity to spend my life essence on one final message to you. I'm dead. Uh, yeah, Vincent, I fucking know I'm at your wake. I'm sitting here with Craig. He made funeral potato casserole, but he couldn't find cream of chicken soup, so I don't know how it's going to turn out. Uh, hey, uh, is there a God or heaven? Uh, huh? Yeah? No? I can't hear anything, Craig. You must have hung up. <laughs> you get one shot, and you fucking blew it, Vincent. Yep. Finally, we made a solemn promise to each other that whichever of us died first would appear to the other after death, if such was permitted. Hey, St. Peter, come on, man. You gotta, you gotta do me solid here. Uh, come on, man. You know I can get into trouble with work. Marty on thin ice with that whole two-pack thing. I mean, <laughs> told him to lay low. It's been 20 years. He's still showing up. <laughs> Tupac lives. You bet he does. Well, after the fact of his being already married came to light, we parted. Uh, he said he was leaving his position with me to spend more time with his family, and I <laughs> guess that's true. That is, that is actually true. I left him, and he followed me to London on December 87. During his stay here, I once asked if he had ever thought about our agreement as to who should die first appealing to the other. Um, she asked about that one, but not the, hey, do you ever think about our agreement that you shouldn't be already married to another person? <laughs> I'm just saying it should you, have come up in conversation. Yeah. <laughs> All he said was, oh, Georgie, you do not need to remind me. My spirit is a part of yours and can never be separated nor dissolved even through all eternity. No, not even though you treat me as you do. Even though you became the wife of another, you cannot divorce our spirits. Or our legally binding prenup, because of <laughs> course we are still technically pre-nup. Huh? That's why I had it worded like that. Clever. I like it. And whenever my spirit leaves this earth, I will appear to you. Well, in the beginning of August 88, he left England for Naples. His last words were that I would never again see him. I should see him, but not alive, for he would put an end to his life and heartbreak. To which I said, stop being so theatrical. And then he said, exeunt. <laughs> A little stage direction. You were, oh. you were up. I know you still fondly remember those days of playing Cornelius <laughs> and Hello Dolly. Oh, so many memories. Exit pursued by Bear. What would you say is outside of Yonkers? <laughs> There's, a, shit. There's a world out there, Alan. Okay, you got it. Outside of Yonkers. <laughs> mm hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is a this is a good enough reference as the singer midgets. Um, <laughs> this is gonna be great on a podcast. People we've never met. <laughs> It'll be great for podcasts for people who are eighty-seven. Also, yeah. After that, he never wrote to me. Still, I 
did not altogether think he would kill himself. Um, not altogether. I mean, I'd say there was a good Detroit Lions make the World Series chance he'd be fine. So that's a slim chance if you think about it a, a little. D- Detroit Lions? Yeah. So it's uh, that's that's it's a the slim joke. chance there, Rob. <laughs> hey, fuck off. <laughs> Hold on. All right, Tiger. All right. On the 22nd or 23rd of the following November, 88, I posted a note to him at Sarno Post Office. No reply came, and I thought it might be he was not at Sarno, or was sick, or traveling, and so did not call at the post office, and so never dreamed of his being dead. Why, it didn't even cross my mind about that thing he told me he was definitely going to do. Well, I mean, he'd never killed himself before, so statistics were on my side. <laughs> you got to go with the numbers, Alan. You got to go with the numbers. Yeah, Moneyball. <laughs> it's fulfillment. Time went on, and nothing occurred till November 27th. Oh, no, of course not. Uh, November 27th, World Extended Nap Day, where the entire population... Falls asleep while watching a Twilight Zone marathon, but they don't sleep very well. And it's like pretty close to bedtime now. So the world just says, you know, screw it. I got a thing of dime a tap. It's for kids. It can't be too powerful. <laughs> and then they wake up 24 hours later. <laughs> November 27th, World Nap Day. It's an important holiday. <laughs> world Nap Day. <laughs> or should I say 28th? You got nothing. What's what's on what's on November twenty eighth? Um, uh, World Hangover Day. <laughs> <laughs> World. Uh, oh, I think I took too long a nap. I'm still tired. Day. Well, or should I say, <laughs> or I should say twenty eighth, for it occurred at twelve thirty, or between twelve and one a.m. I forget the exact time. It was just at that period when I used to sit up night after night till one, two, and. 3 o'clock a.m. at home, doing the class books. On this occasion, I was sitting close to the fire, with the table beside me, sorting cuttings. Is she is she talking scrapbooking? So, I mean, if so, I can see what that lusty Italian man was so passionate about. Si, Jaronim, boss, Dio mio. Her cutouts, it is amazing. Looking up from the papers, my eyes chanced to fall on the door, which stood about a foot and a half open, and right inside, but not so far that his clothes touched the edge of the door, stood Irwin. He was dressed as I last had seen him, overcoat, tall hat, and his arms were down by his sides in his natural, usual way. Oh, yeah, his natural, usual way, not at all an exact description of the goddamn Babadook kind of way. <laughs> Overcoat, tall hat, crazy arms, it all checks out. Don't move the fridge, lady. <clears throat> he stood in his exact own perfectly upright attitude and held his head and face up in a sort of dignified way, which he used generally to adopt on all occasions of importance, or during a controversy or dispute. 
Yeah, the sort of dignified way you look at a dress and tell everyone on Twitter what color it is. <laughs> Just a general dignified mean. He had his face turned towards me and looked at me with a terrible meaning expression, very pale, and as if, and as if pained by being deprived of the power of speech or of local movements. If you've been pained by being deprived of local movements, it's time to ask your doctor about Movantic. <laughs> Movantic. If you're standing in someone's doorway for more than four hours, no? No? You, okay. You're, you're still alive, so good on you. <laughs> All right. If you need Movantic, you're not among the undead. <laughs> I got a shocking fright, for I thought at first he was living and had got in unknown to me to surprise me. Movantic is not recommended for vampires or those with vampire-related symptoms. If you stop seeing yourself in a mirror, please see your doctor immediately. Ghosts, specters, and even haunts may have adverse reactions to Movantic. <laughs> those with heart conditions or who have fairies in their extended family should not take Movantic. <clears throat> All right, I'm going to start that paragraph. <laughs> okay. I got a shocking fright, for I thought at first sight he was living and had gotten unknown to me to surprise me. I felt my heart jump with fright, and I said, oh. But before I had hardly finished the exclamation, his figure was fading away, and, horrible to relate, it faded in such a way that the flesh seemed to fade out of the clothes. Ooh. Or at all events, the hat and coat were longer visible than the whole man. <laughs> I'm starting to think this lady just downed some laudanum and went to an all-male review. <laughs> it's a fine line between being haunted and going to see the thunder from down under. I turned white and cold, felt an awful dread. I was too much afraid to go near enough to shut the door when he had vanished. I was so shaken and confused and half-paralyzed, I felt I could not even cry out. It was as if something had a grip on my spirit. I feared to stir and sat up all night, fearing to take my eyes off the door, not daring to go and shut it. Later on, I got an umbrella and walked tremblingly and pushed the door closed without fastening it. Mm, smart. That's how you keep from getting ghost cooties. Umbrellas. Huh. Well, I mean, I guess you could use a cane or your foot. You just don't want to touch. <laughs> I, I put my hand in my sleeve, and that's why I don't get oh, ghost cooties. Oh, gross. Ectoplasm. <laughs> I feared to touch it with my hand. I felt such a relief when I saw daylight and heard the landlady moving about. Now, though I was frightened... I did not for a moment think he was dead, nor did it enter my mind then about our agreement. Uh, no, I just thought he was stalking me in very short increments. <laughs> I tried to shake off the nervousness, and quite thought it must be something in my sight, caused by imagination, and nerves being overdone by sitting up so late for so many nights together. Still, I thought it dreadfully strange. It was so real. Well, 
real enough for real ghost stories. And I think you'll agree, they set the bar pretty high. Top notch only. Agreed. A ghost's cough. Well, about three days passed. And the bedpan situation was really starting to get out of control. (laughs) And then I was startled by hearing his voice outside my window. As plain as a voice could be, calling, Georgie, are you there, Georgie? Swinging down the street, so fancy free. (laughs) I felt certain it was really him, come back to England. I could not mistake his voice. I felt quite flurried and ran out to the hall door, but no one in sight. I went back in and felt rather upset and disappointed for I would have been glad if he had come back again, and began to wish he really would turn up. I then thought to myself, well, that was so queer. Oh, it must be Irvin, and perhaps he is just hiding in some hall door to see if I will go out and let him in, or what I will do. Uh, I cannot fathom what she possibly thinks he is doing here. Is he pretending to be a house cat? Did he get freeze-tagged and is just super patient? Maybe he's practicing to be one of those guys who paints himself in silver or gold and just stands still like a human statue. Oh, yeah. Give him a quarter. (laughs) So, out I went again. This time I put my hat on and ran along and peeped into hall doors where he might be hiding, but with no result. You don't really have to give him a quarter. Because, like, what's he going to do about it? He's not going to be like, hey, man, I know you got a quarter. Not going to happen. See ya. (laughs) Later on that night, I could have sworn I heard him cough twice right at the window, as if he did it to attract attention. I'm dead over here. Well, I guess I'll wait another couple days and see what's what. (laughs) This is the saddest haunting ever. (laughs) Out I went again. No result. Well, to make a long story short. Now she starts. (laughs) From that night till about nine weeks after that voice called to me and coughed and coughed. Sometimes every night for a week. Then three nights a week. Then miss a night and call on two nights. Miss three or four days and keep calling me the whole night long, on and off, up till 12 midnight or later. Uh, well, you know, baby, uh, some nights I'll cough for you and some nights I'll have to cough for my first wife. But obviously I'm thinking about you while I'm coughing. <laughs> this guy, he needs a, uh, a Ricola. <laughs> yeah, just something for the, something for the dead. A little sepa call, a little yeah, a little something spritz. One time it would be Georgie, it's me, ah Georgie, or Georgie, are you in? Will you speak to Irwin? Or text Irwin, or send Irwin an email. But Irwin doesn't listen to voicemails. Okay, Irwin doesn't even know the passcode for that anymore. Don't leave Irwin a voicemail. <laughs> then. A long pause. And at the end of, say, ten minutes, a most strange, unearthly sigh 
or a cough. A perfectly intentional forced cough. Other times nothing but, ah, Georgie. On one night, there was a dreadful fog. He called me so plain, I got up and said, Oh, really? That man must be here. He must be lodging somewhere near, as sure as life. If he is not outside, I must be going mad in my mind or imagination. Well, sweetie, if we rule out it being in your imagination, which option do you think we're left with? <laughs> so she totally doesn't remember the con- the many conversations I had about him coming to haunt her. Well, she didn't think to ask if he was married, so... <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Not on top of things, Georgie. I went and stood outside the hall door steps in the thick black fog. No lights could be seen that night. I called out, Irwin, Irwin, here, come on. I know you're there, trying to humbug me. I saw you in town. Come on in, and don't be making a fool of yourself. Well... I declare to you, a voice that seemed within three yards of me replied out of the fog, It's only Irwin, and a most awful and great and supernatural sort of sigh faded away in the distance. Uh, hey Rob, can I get your most supernatural sigh? Uh, sounds like you're trying to hold a conversation while eating mashed potatoes. <laughs> oh, I think these are pretty good mashed potatoes. <laughs> That's a really good eating mashed potatoes while doing a supernatural sigh impression. <laughs> Thank you. I, I I studied that at, uh, at, at UCB for three years. Your quality has really gone down. <laughs> I went in, feeling quite unhinged and nervous, and could not sleep. After that night, it was chiefly sighs and coughing. The occasional ghostly fart. <laughs> Alan, um, you know, this is the time when I would ask you for um, your impression of an occasional ghostly fart. <laughs> That was it. That was that was the. Uh... It's ethereal, Rob. <laughs> it's made of the stuff of the astral plane. Ah, <laughs> oh, we have fun, and it was kept up until one day, at the end of about nine weeks, my letter was returned marked "Signor O'Neill e morto," together with a letter from the consul to say he had died on November twenty eighth. 1888, the day on which he appeared to me. The question of dates. On inquiring as to dates and verification, Mrs. F. replied, I don't know the hour of his death, but if you write to Mr. Turner, Vice Consul Naples, he can get it for you. He appeared to me at the hour I say. Of course, there is a difference of time between here and Naples. And um, temperature and cultural differences, it's a different 
country. Anyway, so obviously when he appeared, he was wearing a Speedo under his coat. <laughs> you got to adapt to the norms of the country you're in. That's, that's just how When it is. in Rome. <laughs> the strange part is that once I was informed of his death by human means, the letter, his spirit seemed to be satisfied, for no voice ever came again after. It was as if he wanted to inform and make me know he had died, and as if he knew I had not been informed by human agency. Okay, can we just take one moment to acknowledge the absolutely terrifying cosmos where spirits of the dead have to wait on the postal service (laughs) to leave purgatory? Oh my god, can you imagine the lineup? (laughs) There'd be ghosts everywhere. Could you hand stamp my certificate of death, please? Hand stamp it. I don't want it to go through the machine. (laughs) Is there any way to overnight this? How do I get ground shipping? I was so struck with the apparition of November 28th that I made a note of the date at the time so as to tell him of it when next I wrote. (laughs) (laughs) What? Dearest Irwin... (laughs) Hey, remember when you appeared in my bedroom totally alive on November 28th? Well, I'm just writing to tell you it was definitely November 28th because I wrote it down to write to you, which I'm doing right now. Okay, bye. (laughs) I am now sealing the envelope in order to send this letter to you. Sincerely, Georgie, is what I just wrote down. (laughs) my letter reached sarno a day or two after he died there is no possible doubt about the voice being his for he had a peculiar and uncommon voice one such as i had never heard any exactly like or like at all in any other person wahoo (laughs) it's a me his name is Irwin allen i i i think he's an expat I think he's the next Mario. (laughs) (laughs) And in life, he used to call me through the window as he passed by. So I would know who it was knocked at the door and open it. Hey, sir, when I'm going to be at the front door in like two seconds, you going to open it up or do I got to knock and then say, well, I am like a freaking idiot. Hey, I'm telling you right through the window. (laughs) Man who gets to the point. (laughs) When he said, Ah, after death, it was so awfully sad and long drawn out, and as if expressing that now all was over, and our separation, and his being dead, was also very, very pitiful and unutterable. Although, maybe I'm reading a little too much into just one syllable, I'm not sure, Frankly, it seems like I've got a lot of time on my hands. You can only scrap book for 22 or 23 hours out of the day. (laughs) The rest is dreaming up hauntings. The sigh was so real, so almost solid, and discernible and unmistakable, till at the end it seemed to have such a supernatural, strange, awful dying away sound a sort of fading, retreating into distance sound that gave the impression that it was not quite all spirit, 
but that the spirit had some sort of visible and half-material being or condition. One syllable. (laughs) This was especially so the night of the fog, when the voice seemed nearer to me as I stood there, and as if it was able to come or stay nearer to me because there was a fog to hide its materialism. (laughs) She sounds like she's describing what they do with cheap CGI. This is an asylum picture. We got got money for six minutes of CGI, and it's going to be dark and foggy the whole time, all right? Now let's go. They never should have let Gollum out into the sunlight. (laughs) Just looked wrong. Ruined the whole effect. On each of the other occasions, it seemed to keep a good deal farther off than on that night, and always sounded as if at an elevation of about ten feet or eleven feet from the ground. Oh, God, that's scary. That is haunted laundry line height. (laughs) Whoa, shivers. Haunted shack standing on a bed height. Except the night of the fog, when it came down on a level with me, as well as near, Georgina F. The end. Uh, what? <laughs> I, I had to check there to make sure it was the end. That was a humdinger of a chiller right there, Alan. Um, I mean, it was obviously a factual retelling of facts. It was indeed. So, Alan, what do you think the moral of this particular story is? Mm, I, I think it's pretty clear that promises about what you do after you die, far more binding than marriage agreements. Okay, <laughs> so you just monkey's paw the hell out of that loophole uh because i promise you rob when i die Mm -hmm. i will come back i'll be rich (laughs) and i'll be too busy to have you as my friend anymore (laughs) you can count on that okay that's fair that's fair you know i i can't find a moral to the story but i i think that what it's taught me is that you and i should have some kind of sigh or cough so that when one of us dies first in a tragic fire of some kind, probably, um, we're able to tell if there's an afterlife. wasn't planning on that. Yeah. No, when you die, you know, maybe next week from your brakes going out and your car hitting a tree and catching on fire or something like that. Very specific. Um, yeah, no, no, no. I mean, when you're going out and it's slightly rainy and you think your car is running fine and I happen to be in town for work and, you know, you go off the road and because your brakes don't work. You know, when that happens, if if that happens, uh-huh. we we should have some kind of code cough or, or, or phrase so that I know – uh, if you're coming back and speaking to me from the afterlife. So, you know, what 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 sh- what do you think we should do? I think I'm going to give you a ghost fart, Rob. <laughs> You'll know it when you hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Just subtle, you know. Is that a creak on the floor or a ghost fart? That's what I'm going to ask myself.
And then I'll be sitting there in your house with your, with all your money. I mean, when or if it happens. Mm-hmm. Well, um, <clears throat> that about uh, wraps it up for this week's episode. I, I hope everybody enjoyed it. And I, I hope you tune in next time for another exciting interrupted. Georgie, Georgie, I have a lot of small talk to talk to you about that I I didn't. Okay, I'll DM you. <laughs> Damn! Ooh.